0: I was told, why are you doing this? You're gonna ruin your career. You can't win, you can't be the governor.
1: A real estate lawyer in New York for over two decades, Bobby Ann Cox shifted gears after seeing government officials unwilling to let go of emergency powers they gained during the pandemic. She secured a landmark victory against New York Governor Kathy Hochul's controversial Quarantine Camps regulation.
0: So they basically took the language from that bill that had failed for seven years, they tweaked it a little bit, and then they made it a regulation. It is wholly unconstitutional. Forced isolation and quarantine procedures with no due process? No, not in our country. In the history of mankind, no government has ever taken power from the people and then just voluntarily giving it back, the people have to demand it back.
1: This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya
0: Kellick.
1: Ann Cox, it's such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders.
0: Yes, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: I've got this headline from the Epoch Times in front of me. Um, Judge strikes down New York City vaccine mandates. A very popular article. Um, New Yorkers are celebrating in the streets. Well, at least some of them. Um, what is your reaction?
0: So it's a great decision. I, I read the decision from the judge, um, absolutely fantastic. It's very similar to um, a decision that I got in my case back in July with the quarantine camps. Um, and it's, it's fabulous. I mean, the decision specifically states that those 16 petitioners, the plaintiffs in that case um, should immediately be reinstated to have their jobs back um, with back pay. Um, so uh, it is a wonderful decision. Unfortunately, um, you know, the city has already filed their notice of appeal. They're starting the appeal process, um, which is something that's very standard. Uh, you know, um, not long ago, uh, we saw a judge in New York City, actually it was the same judge, Judge Porzio, um, New York State Supreme Court judge in New York City. He struck down um, the, the same vaccine mandate for um, firemen. That had brought a lawsuit and specifically struck it down. Same thing. Immediately, the city appeals the decision. So now they're fighting on appeal. Um, and we even saw last year in 2021, um, a New York State Supreme Court judge had struck down the vaccine mandate for a police officer. Uh, but same thing. It, it was immediately appealed by, by the city. So we're seeing this pattern of, you know, they're just not letting it go. Um, you know, the, the city is, is fighting to try and, and keep their mandates.
1: Well, and this always this strikes me as so odd, frankly, because you know you kind of always imagine New York City as supporting its city workers, you know, whether it's firemen, whether it's policemen, whether it's sanitation workers. What do you think is going on? Like,
0: Um, well, you know, um, we're seeing a lot of government overreach that that seems to be an underlying theme that's going on uh, in not just New York, uh, but in the country. Um, and so this has become a trend and they really want to exert power that they don't have. Uh, it's, not, it's not powers they're given as per the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's very upsetting because we're seeing it at, at all levels. We're seeing it at the city level, the state level and the federal level.
1: So these are powers that are coming from these emergency authorizations, right? Or emergencies being declared.
0: Um, It depends on the situation. Sometimes um, the executive branch is just giving themselves the power and they don't actually have the power, um, which was the case with with my quarantine lawsuit. Um, The governor and the Department of Health literally just gave themselves the power to issue isolation and quarantine procedures. And the attitude is kind of like, well, we know we can't do this, uh, but we're going to do it anyway. And then the theory is, you know, catch me if you can, right? come get me if you can, bring a lawsuit, put me back in my place if you can. If you can't, well, I'm just going to keep this power that I've given to myself.
1: Well, so of course, I want to talk to you very badly about this, uh, the isolation and quarantine procedures regulation, which you challenged, uh, you know, basically Governor Hochul on. But the origins of this, if I understand the genesis of this regulation, actually stems back to Cuomo still somehow. Can you give me a sense of what this is? And, you know, it's actually kind of like shocking to most people that I've ever talked to about this, that such a idea could even be sort of talked about in polite company, so to speak, but l- lay it out for me here.
0: Yes, you're exactly right. It did start with Cuomo. And actually, it started a little bit before that, so I'll just go back a little bit before. Um, In 2015, there was an Ebola outbreak. Um, Most people probably weren't aware of it because it wasn't something like COVID-19. But as a result of that, there was a New York State Assemblyman. His name was Nick Perry. Um, He was an assemblyman, a Democrat from Brooklyn. And what he did was he proposed a law starting in 2015 for seven years, straight through the end of 2021. Um, And and he actually, in 2021, he was appointed by Biden to become the ambassador to Jamaica. So he's no longer a New York state assemblyman. Um, But for seven years, while he was an assemblyman, he did propose this bill, which was very similar to the regulation that I got struck down. Um, That bill specifically said uh, in essence the governor and the Department of Health could pick and choose which New Yorkers they could lock up or lock down in quarantine or isolation um, if they thought you had a communicable disease. And um, so it failed that bill for seven years. Um, In fact, there are, if you combine the number of New York state senators and New York state assembly members, you get a total of 213 members of the New York state legislature. Not one of them would get behind that bill. It never went to a vote. It never even got out of committee. It was introduced in the health committee in the assembly. Um, and in fact, the the Democrat chairman of that committee made a public statement in 2021 and said, we're, we're not even going to vote on this because it was, it was people were getting so upset. They had learned about this bill, and they were just so upset about the thought of being forced into isolation or quarantine with no proof that you were even sick. So. Um, it was, it was denounced, it was never brought to a vote, and ultimately Assemblyman uh, Nick Perry withdrew it. So he withdrew it from consideration. So what happens, well now in March of 2020, when Cuomo is still the governor, um, emergency powers are given to him by the New York State Legislature because of COVID-19, right? This pandemic, we don't know what this is, this is crazy, everybody's so scared. So they voted, they gave him emergency powers, which had never been done before, and what they did was they allowed him to, they called it directives. They allowed him to issue directives. What that really meant was he was allowed to make law. That in and of itself is unconstitutional. You, the, the, the legislative branch can't delegate their lawmaking power to another branch of government. Um, but they did. And um, for a whole year, Cuomo had this power. And when he got this power in March of 2020, he then passed it on to his commissioner of health. And that's when this regulation was made. Mm. So they basically took the language from that bill that had failed for seven years. They tweaked it a little bit and then they made it a regulation. Mm. And they said, we have this authority because look, we, we got these emergency powers. And um, the problem was that once Cuomo lost those powers in March of 2021, the power to make that regulation should have also disappeared, but it didn't. And they just kept the Department of Health just kept issuing that same regulation over and over again every couple of months. And then in August of 2021, Governor Cuomo steps down, Kathy Hogel rises from lieutenant governor to governor, and she has her Department of Health continue to issue this same isolation and quarantine procedures regulation. She was never given an emergency power by the legislature. She didn't have the authority to do that. Uh, and and that's when I found out about it, and I said absolutely not. I, I have to I have to bring a lawsuit. This is totally unconstitutional.
1: Well, and just lay out for me exactly what this regulation says. And you've also now I understand why you describe it as a law masquerading as a regulation. What does it actually allow the government to do? Lay it out.
0: So the isolation and quarantines procedure regulation um, would allow the Department of Health to choose which New Yorkers they could lock up or lock down. They could have locked you up in your home or they could have removed you from your home and locked you into a facility of their choosing. There was absolutely no restraint in this regulation. So they could have locked you up for days, for weeks, for months, no restraint. Um, They could have told you where you went. You had no choice. You couldn't just say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll lock down in my home. No, they could remove you from your home if they wanted to. They didn't have to prove that you were sick. They didn't have to prove you were exposed to a communicable disease. Um, No age restrictions, so they could have done this to you, your child, your grandchild, your elderly parent. Um, They could have used law enforcement, so you could have gotten a knock on your door from the local police or the sheriff, and I'm sorry, you need to come with us. We have an issue, we have here a a decree from the Department of Health, you have to go into isolation or quarantine. you couldn't negotiate your way out. And what I mean by that is um, there were no provisions in the regulation that y- you could say, well, wait a minute, you know, I don't have tuberculosis, or I don't have monkeypox, or I don't have COVID-19, I'll take a test, I'll prove it. No, there was nothing in the regulation that would allow you to try to negotiate your way out of to, this. To, to challenge this. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, when we were having oral arguments in front of the judge, The judge asked the Attorney General's office, you know, if you take a family and you've put them into isolation in in a facility or a hospital, let's say, how do they get out? And, you know, there was a pregnant pause, and then the Attorney General's office um, said, well, you know, I guess they could hire a lawyer and and they could sue.
1: That is an absolutely uh, astounding thing that you just told me. This is telling me that this wasn't focused on the people somehow it was focused on the regulation or the needs of the government or the whim of the government but not on like you know where I would imagine things should be focused on the well-being of the person in question
0: Absolutely whether it's the state constitution in New York or the federal constitution the constitution says you have to have due process protections built into your laws and and your regulations And in this instance, there were no due process protections. I mean, in the regulation, they said, oh, in in, in accordance with due process, you know, we can do the following, right? But there were no actual due process steps or procedures put into that regulation. So in the judge's decision, he he actually said, this regulation gives lip service to due process. You know, you mention it, but you don't actually have any due process built in there. So it was really obvious that this regulation was extremely one-sided. It, it just gave this unbelievable, unfettered power to the government. And, and they gave it to themselves, the Department of Health and the governor. This didn't come from the legislature. In fact, as I explained, we saw for seven years, a very similar bill failed for seven years. Not one New York state legislator would get behind it, even the Democrats. So. It's the story of a, a, a tyrannical governor and her Department of Health doing something that they want to do, but the people don't want them to do it, and they're the people's representatives in the New York State Senate and the Assembly don't want them to do it, but they did it anyway.
1: Let's go, go to this. You were a very successful, from what I've seen, a real estate lawyer, uh, you know, in the New York area. Um, again this is something that isn't necessarily your wheelhouse is fighting, you know, quarantine camp legislation or or regulation.
0: Yeah. No. So, um I've been practicing law for 25 years here in New York and um my wheelhouse was um real estate. I, I did yes, transactional real estate work, but I also did um property tax certiorari, which is representing property owners and going up against um, local government. So towns, cities, villages. um, And I would sue the local government on behalf of my clients if I thought that their property valuations were too high and therefore their property taxes were too high. Um, And so I was used to suing the government but on the local level um, for private individuals. Um, And so this was the first time I was suing the governor and the Department of Health um, over, you know, an illegal, unconstitutional regulation on behalf of 19 million New Yorkers, right? So um, I knew I had to get some New York state legislators to be the plaintiffs on this case, because the governor was not, and the Department of Health were not actually um, pulling people out of their homes and locking them in facilities yet. So
1: So this this is actually very important, right? That this Regulation was never actually used until it was struck down, so I, I want to touch on that a little bit, but I, I want to dig into this a little further. You had a successful legal business, um, doing good work by all uh, by all accounts. What was the moment that you learned of this or what was what went through your mind? I mean you obviously Let's say you had to kind of re-school yourself somewhat to take this on, I would imagine, right? This wasn't a casual decision. Tell me about this. Yeah.
0: So um, I basically had to make a choice um, when, in March of 2020 when Governor Cuomo had said, OK, everybody, we're going to lock down, right? Everybody stay in your home, close your businesses, close the schools, just two weeks to flatten the curve. Uh, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I said, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) The government doesn't do anything for two weeks. Um, Remember, I've been suing the government for 20-something years, right? I I know that they don't work that fast. So I knew it wasn't going to be just two weeks. Um, But I also said to myself, this is completely unconstitutional. He can't do this. He he can't force people to shut their businesses and stay home. Uh, So I, I started to speak out almost immediately and um, people were really upset because as you know, those lockdowns did not last two weeks, you know, here in New York state, I mean, those lockdowns lasted months and people were getting decimated. You know, especially the small business owners had worked their whole lives to build up their livelihoods and their businesses and they were losing them because the governor was telling them they couldn't go to work. They couldn't open their doors. Um, People were losing their homes because they couldn't pay their rent or they couldn't pay their mortgages. And the landlords were getting just totally quashed because all of a sudden the CDC, who by the way, doesn't have the power to do this, told landlords that they couldn't evict tenants for non-payment of rent because it somehow spread COVID. So now you have the landlords calling me. I mean, I was in real estate, right? So they're calling me. Do we have to do this? Do we have to follow this? You know, how do I pay my bills? I still have to pay my property taxes. I still have to pay my mortgage, but nobody's paying me rent anymore, you know? So we were seeing um, small businesses, landlords, people were just getting decimated by the government, right? So all of this pain and suffering was going on. People were reaching out to me for help, asking for advice. And I mean, the virus was dangerous and, and hurting people, but most of what I was hearing and people reaching out to me for help was what the government was doing to them. And I said, I I can't stand by and watch this anymore. So um, I actually started making videos and posting them online so people could get information about, you know, what's legal, what's not. Um, I had started a a YouTube channel to help people understand what their rights are and the constitution. YouTube tore that down. They didn't like what I was saying. So, um, but then I switched over to Rumble. So now I have a Rumble channel. And um, I started giving speeches. People were just saying, can you come talk to our group and explain this? And you know, what can we do? What can't we do? What's legal? What's not? Um, so I started giving speeches and just kind of crisscrossing New York State and and helping educate people. Um, and so we then, a citizens group formed Uniting New York State. And um, one of the members there is who brought this regulation to my attention. And um, I said, you know, this is unbelievable. They said, you know, I can't believe it, is this, is this real? You know, and I read this isolation and quarantine procedures regulation, I said, oof, unfortunately it's real, but there's no way it's legal. Um, and I had to make a choice because I'm a solo practitioner. Um, I used to work in a large New York City law firm when I was first out of law school, but I had left there 20 years ago and started my own law office. So I knew I had to choose between continuing my practice or taking on this case because I, I couldn't handle both. Um, and so I, I put my practice to the side and, and, and for the past several months I've been working on this case and um, I, I'm really glad that I made that choice. Um, especially cause I'm doing the case pro bono. So it was a really big decision to take on, but I'm glad that I did because it was the right thing to do. And ultimately the judge ruled in our favor. So, you know, it, it, it is wholly unconstitutional and has no place in, in not just New York, but in the United States of America forced isolation and quarantine procedures with no due process. No, not, not in our country.
1: So I, just out of curiosity, you know, what are, what, what are your politics like? I,
0: hmm. <laughs> so, um, I'm representing a group of New York state legislators in this lawsuit. Um, Senator George Borello, assemblyman, Chris Tague, assemblyman, Mike Lawler together with uniting New York state, the citizens group, um, and all of them are Republicans. And, um, there's another group of legislators in New York state legislature who wrote an amicus brief to support the case. Um, that's Assemblyman Andy Goodell. Uh, he's an attorney. He, he's the one that authored the brief. Um, Assemblyman Joseph Gilio, and then Assemblyman Will Barkley uh, also signed on to the amicus brief. And they're all Republicans. Um, they're actually top ranking Republicans in the New York state assembly. And um, I'm actually a Democrat. So, something that no one really knows because I don't really talk about that publicly um, so in my mind this this is not a this is not a political thing. Um, this is a human rights issue um, this is a constitutional issue, and it really shouldn't be about politics, and some media likes to spin it that way
1: well, so the reason I asked you, okay. <laughs> Is that it's the kind of thing that's been spun as some sort of conservative right-wing talking point, right? And then, but it really isn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's not at all. And and this is not a left or right thing. This is about being an American and something people have really forgotten. Um, and it's not people's fault. I think it's because we just really don't teach this in school anymore. We don't really teach the Constitution and we should. It should be required from, you know, the little kids all the way up through high school and college. Um, the Constitution was written to keep the government in check. The Constitution wasn't written to keep the people in check. So we really need to get back to that methodology. Um, the Constitution is not perfect, but it's brilliant. And it's, it's in my opinion, it's brilliant because it was written by um, our founding fathers who came from tyranny, right? They lived through tyranny under a King in England who gave them no voice, uh, no representation. They just felt like they were subject to his every whim, which, which they were, right? He was a King Um, and they broke free. and and they started the United States of America, and they wrote this constitution with that in mind. They wrote the constitution in such a manner that if it's followed, there wouldn't be tyranny on these shores ever. Yet here we are 250 years later, and we're, we're fighting tyranny.
1: See, I wasn't one of these people that looked and saw these policies, these shelter in place policies, for example, and everything Kind of came with it these kinds of regulations that we're just discussing right now. I didn't think to myself, "My goodness, this is tyranny," right? As I imagine, a lot of people didn't, but, but some people did, right? And I, at, when I first heard people say, "Well, this is obviously tyranny," I said, well, that feels a bit much, you know. <laughs> you know, that was that was that was what I thought, right? Why is it tyranny?
0: Because the definition of tyranny is when um, a leader. Takes power that they're not entitled to, right? That's I'm I'm kind of generalizing it. I'm summing it up, but that's the essence of what tyranny is, and um, what we're seeing over and over again, here in New York, definitely, as you mentioned earlier, New York City mandates, but also the governor and her Department of Health. We're seeing they are taking power that they don't have, the Constitution clearly gives us three branches of government and defines what those branches can and can't do, right? It says executive branch, that's the governor, or on the federal level, that would be the president, but you've got the governor and the executive branch and they're supposed to enforce laws and their agencies beneath them are supposed to help them enforce laws. They're not supposed to make laws. Um, And then you have the judicial branch, which is the courts and the judges, and then you have the legislative branch which is this, you know, in New York State, that's the Senate and the Assembly, and they're supposed to make law. They're all supposed to be co-equal, and they're all supposed to work with checks and balances to keep each other in balance. But when you have, like in this case, with the quarantine camps, when you have the governor and the executive branch taking the power of the legislature, right? She's trying to make law and enforce law. That's tyranny. She's taking a power that was never assigned to her. And who suffers? When there's tyranny, it's the people who suffer.
1: So what's happened with this case? It was struck down. It was never used. Does that matter here?
0: Um, That's a great question because uh, a lot of the challenges we've seen over the last two and a half years against COVID mandates, um, a lot of them have been dismissed because of lack of standing. Um, And standing is is a legal term, basically, that says you have to have the right to bring the lawsuit. And in order to have the right to bring the lawsuit, you have to have an injury. So you have to have suffered an actual injury. It can't be something futuristic. Um, So in this case, because the governor and the Department of Health we're not removing people from their homes yet pursuant to this regulation and we're not locking people in their homes pursuant to this regulation. I couldn't use a regular person who had been injured by having this done to them. And I had to think, well, who else has injury here? Because um, other attorneys I had spoken to, you know, they were saying, oh, you can't, you're gonna lose. You can't do that. You know, your case has no legs. You have to wait until people are being injured. Mm. And I said, there's no way I'm waiting until Governor Hochul and Commissioner of Health start pulling people out of their homes, separating families and putting them into detention centers for no reason, with no proof that they were even sick. So um, I got a little creative and I approached a group of New York State Assembly members and senators and I said, hey, look, you know what, your power is being taken here. The governor and the Department of Health are the executive branch. They made a law. You know, they're calling it a regulation, but it's a law. And look, look how similar it is to this other law, proposed law, that failed for seven years, that nobody in the New York State legislature would get behind. And you have injury. And here's the lawsuit. I already drafted it. Take a look. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so Senator George Borello, Assemblyman Chris Taig, Assemblyman Mike Lawler, um, they said, absolutely, we believe in this, we're going to do it, and they came on the case and, and ultimately, yeah, we won. The, at July 8th, the judge struck down the regulation, he said it's unconstitutional, um, it's a breach of separation of powers, and it also conflicted with existing New York state law. We already have law for 70 years in New York, it's section 2120 of the public health law, That tells you how you quarantine somebody if they're a public health threat. But that law has multiple due process protections Mm. built into it. Due process protection number one in that law is you have to prove the person actually has the disease, right?
1: You would think, right? (laughs) Right.
0: You would think that should be step one. That's the whole point of due process. It's to keep the government from abusing their power. If you think about it, if the judge had ruled against me, And he said, oh, nope, they can do this, this is fine. What does that mean? That means now that the executive branch of government is elevated above the others. Because if the executive branch is allowed to have their agencies make regs that conflict with laws that were passed by our legislature, now you're saying, well, the legislature doesn't matter what they do. They can make any laws they want, but that's okay because the executive branch is just going to overrule them with their regulations, right? It, it completely messes up separation of powers. Judge Ronald Plotz, um, New York State Supreme Court up in Cattaraugus County, he made the right decision. It's, it's 100% the right thing to do.
1: But as you mentioned earlier, it is being appealed.
0: So very interestingly, uh, the department, uh, I'm sorry, the Attorney General's office has filed a notice of appeal in my case. Um, they did that in the middle of July. We are now, at the end of October, and they have not pursued the appeal. So they filed the papers to say we're, we're going to appeal, um, and but there's been no appeal. And a lot of people are are saying, well, it's because there's an election. You know, November 8th is election day. Does Hochul, who's running for governor against Lee Zeldin, and Attorney General Letitia James, who's running against Michael Henry, Attorney General. Do they want the voters of New York to know that they want to overturn this decision and get this power to, ha- to, to force people into quarantine or isolation for no reason? I don't think anybody would be for this type of unbridled power to be given to essentially one person, right, the Department of Health, the Commissioner of Health.
1: Is it really that it's just these you know, government leaders or bureaucrats that are seeking these kinds of unprecedented powers, or is there some kind of change in the consciousness of society? I mean, just you know, because you've talked to a lot of people.
0: Yes, I've I spoken with so many people um, because of all of the speeches I've been giving and um, e- even presentations, you know, internationally. Because attorneys and even doctors and politicians outside the United States have reached out to me since my win to say, you know, how did you do it and, and help us? You know, we're facing the same thing here in our country. You know, South Africa has almost an identical regulation that they're trying to push through. And an attorney there reached out to me and said, you know, can you help me here? And I said, absolutely anything I can do. Um, so I, I think that there has been a shift, but I think that that shift is because people don't understand what their rights are. I think if people understood what their rights are they would say hold 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 on a second you can't do that right the people give the government the power and you know in the history of mankind no government has ever taken power from the people and then just voluntarily given it back right the people have to demand it back the people won't demand it back unless they know that they have the right to that power and so I think there needs to be uh, a, a, an education process in in the United States, so that people understand, oh, these are my rights, okay. And I've really seen, I've spoken to a lot of people who are Democrats who are saying, you know, I can't believe what's going on. You know, our party never used to support this, and I just find it so interesting because. I'm trying to make this not a political thing, but it seems to be a political thing. Um, but I, I think that this election on November 8th is going to be extremely important uh, in New York because we have not just the governor's seat open. We have the attorney general seat, we have every single state senator seat, every single state assembly member seat. You've got at the federal level. You've got, you know, the congressional seats are up for, for grabs and and Senate. So we have this opportunity in New York on November 8th to have our voices heard.
1: So you feel this is kind of a referendum of sorts on, you know, I guess these, these kinds of policies? I
0: think so. I think it's really... In the New York gubernatorial race, um, you know, we just saw Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul face off in a debate a few days ago. You know, I think the issues are, are pretty clear. New Yorkers, do you feel safe? Are you struggling to pay your bills? Are you struggling to you know put gas in your car and put food on your table? And you know, the winter's coming. How's your heating bill going to look? You know, those are real life things. Um, I know the mandates are a big issue, you know? Do you, do you want the government telling you what you can and can't do? You have to stand six feet from somebody, you have to wear a mask, you have to take a COVID shot, you have to do you know, New Yorkers are tired, I mean, from what I'm hearing. They look at the other states around us, you know, and they say, oh my goodness, you know, look at Florida, look at the Dakotas, look at, look at Texas. So, you know, they're saying they have none of this. And so many New Yorkers have fled so millions of New Yorkers have fled the state in the last couple of years because of this. They've gone to freer freer states. But some of us, some of us have to stay and fight. We, we can't all flee, because if they win in New York, it's going to spread like a cancer across the country, and then there's no place left to hide.
1: You're taking a very strong position on this, as we've heard. Um, what about people around you in New York, not you're hearing all these things that you're describing from people in the community, but it's by no means the only position, certainly not from what I've heard.
0: So when I was working on this lawsuit, um, just in the drafting stages, I hadn't gotten the New York state legislators to come on. Um, I would reach out to colleagues, I reached out to many colleagues, I mean, couple dozen colleagues I reached out to and said, you know, look, look at this regulation. You have to read this. This is horrific. Help me. It's, it's better to have a few lawyers working on this or even two lawyers working on this than just one. Um, and nobody would, nobody would step up. Um, in fact, I was told why are you doing this? You're going to ruin your career. You know, you've worked so hard to build it up you're not gonna win, you can't win, you can't be the governor. This is, this is a losing proposition. And uh, they either they didn't believe in my theory um, or they just thought it was, it was too tough. There were, there were no other lawsuits in the country that had struck down a quarantine camp regulation or law. So I had to start from scratch and I had to do, it took a lot of time, a lot of research. Um, and I was doing a pro bono who, you know, they didn't, who didn't want to work for free, who thought it wasn't going to be a good case, you know, so I had no, <laughs> no support. And it took me a while to get the legislators on board too, cause I had to go one by one um, and reach out and explain the situation and um, explain my lawsuit and see if they would come on the, the case. So um, it was, it was pretty difficult. And it was, um, pretty, it was upsetting that there was no support coming from anywhere, um, and then when they decided to come on the case and, and we filed the case, um, all of a sudden now I had this wonderful network of legislators who believed in this and supported me, and um, Andy Goodell, who's the assemblyman who wrote the amicus brief, um, was fabulous, really helping with um you know, reading my work and, and theorizing with me. Um, and then there was an attorney in Albany, uh, Tom Marcel, he's actually a town judge and a practicing attorney um, currently running for New York State Supreme Court. And one of the things that the Attorney General did was almost immediately they removed my case from New York State Court to federal court. Mm. Um, a stall tactic, you know, they, they, are, they are Goliath and I'm David, right? So they have all these resources, all of our tax dollars to fight this case. So um, they can stall and they can burn through my resources. So they removed it to federal court and they removed it to a court that I'm not admitted in. I'm admitted in the Southern District of New York. So they removed it to the Western District and um, I called up this colleague, Tom Marcel, and I said, Oh my goodness! They removed my case to federal court, and it's going to take me weeks to get admitted to this court. You know, I'm not I'm not admitted there yet. Um, He said, "Don't worry, I'm admitted in that district." He said, "I'm going to help you," Um, and I said, "Well, but I'm working pro bono. You know, I can't I can't pay you because I'm not charging anyone." And he said, "Don't worry about it. It's fine." And so. For a, a, a solid week, that's all we did it was day and night. We, we had to make a motion. We had to file it with the, the federal court. We had to ask for expedited review, um, which was granted, thank goodness. We had to really we had to argue the motion in front of the federal judge to explain why we shouldn't be in federal court and we should be back in state court. And ultimately, we, we won that motion and we were referred back into state court um, and then the attorney general's office decided to oppose the amicus brief. They didn't want the judge to read this amicus brief that was written by this group of New York State Assembly members. So we had to do motion practice over that. Ultimately, we won that. Um, But along the way, I started to find support. Um, It was really encouraging at that point to see that, okay, I'm not alone. A lot of people think New York is just, oh, New York is a lost cause. You know, Why do you live there? You should move, you know? Um, new York isn't a lost cause. It's not. You just have to stand up and 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 fight for it.
1: So, what does the future look like for you now? You know, and that's. I mean, I'm curious. Is is there a future for your real estate business? Is or have you shifted completely into this new constitutional law uh, enterprise?
0: Yes. Um, I I think so. I think there's been a shift. Um, People have been really appreciative of of this work that I'm doing on this case and trying to educate the public about about it, because it's it's being swept under the rug by mainstream media. This is the path that I need to follow. It's it's I'm passionate about this. I think that the Constitution must be upheld or, or we're going to lose our our republic it will, it will cease to exist as we know it.
1: What is the one thing you would say to your fellow members of the legal profession?
0: I wish that they would go back to critical thinking. Um, I think we need to really question things that are going on in, in our society today. And when all of this was going on, it started in March of 2020, um, you know, people were saying, "Well, where where are the lawyers? Where are all the lawyers? This all of this stuff can't possibly be legal." You know, where is where are you guys? What are you doing? Um, and very few of us from the beginning started to step up and speak out. Um, I I would I would love for more to step up, and I would love for more to speak out. Um, the regular citizens need the guidance. They don't. They don't know the law like we do, um, and the Constitution needs to be preserved. So, I, I hope more of them will join the fight.
1: Well, Bobby Ann Cox, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Thank you, Jan, I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you all for joining Bobby Ann Cox and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellick.